The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, it's good to see you all this morning. And uh, I was just making sure when the quitting time is 25 or 35. No, don't say 45. Anyway, I'm uh, Bill Cruson. I've been teaching here for a while, and I teach in the School of Divinity. And I know some of you, but not enough of you, and uh, it's really a privilege to be here today. I hope that your week last week made some sort of impression on you, World Reach, World Reach Week. Um, we had, in one of my classes, we had a missionary, David Kim, and uh, his, his words in a story were pretty powerful for us. So I don't know what God's doing in your heart, but I just wondered if you really have thought, maybe for the first time or maybe for the sixth time, about spending your life somewhere else telling other people about Jesus. Now, I bet for some of you, that's a scary thought. Because it's hard enough for you to tell your cousin who doesn't know Jesus, maybe when you were home at Christmas, right? To be able to spend your whole life doing something that is not a natural way of, like, breathing spiritually. Maybe, could I push in a bit? Maybe you're not even a Christian, so no wonder, like, why would you want to spend your life telling other people about something that's not true in your life? So I don't know where you are this morning, um, but I would like today to talk about assurance. That is, being confident that you really know you're a Christian. Now I know, in order to get into Cairn, you, on the application, right, have to say something about being a Christian. But I also know that you can say something and not really mean it, or maybe it felt like it was true then and it's not true now. So maybe I should just say there's a big difference between becoming a Christian and knowing that you're a Christian. If I put it in theological terms, there's a difference between regeneration being born again, and assurance, knowing that you are born again. So let's just start with first things. How do you become a Christian? And hopefully you know this, but let me just quote Ephesians 2, where Paul says, it is by grace that we are saved through faith. Not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, and it's not by our works so that no one can boast about it. Faith is like leaning onto something or resting your heart in something or someone. So I, I just want to remind you again, I know you'd probably hear it a lot from chapel and you hear it in your classrooms and you heard it in mission week, but... That's the most important thing about you, 
if you have faith in Christ now, that is your identity. It changes everything. I mean, we sang about it. That's why we could sing, let Christ, and by the way, I really loved your singing. Thank you for, and for those of you that led. To be able to say, Christ be magnified in me. It starts in a moment of time, but it just goes on forever. But today, like I said, I want to press into this question. Not are you a Christian, but do you know that you are in Christ? Do you know right now that you have eternal life? And, you know, I'm a professor, so when I read a verse like this by Paul, who was an apostle, he could have been a professor. Listen to what he says. 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. All right, it sounds like what a prophet would say. All right, we're going to have a quiz today. One question, are you a Christian? And Paul says, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? So this is a pass-fail test. I don't know if you ever have those or like those, but that's what Paul gives us. Test yourself. So how can you be assured that you are already a Christian? That's what Paul's saying in this self-quiz. He, he's, he's saying, do you have this self-awareness that you are a different person, that you really are a Christian. So think about that for a minute. It's, you should be able to answer the question. It's not like, well, I hope so, or I'm not sure, or well, I, I wouldn't know where to go with that. For Paul to tell the Corinthian church, hey, you're in the church, you're Christians, but you know what? Ah, something doesn't smell exactly right here. So I want you to test yourself. Now, that reminds me of language that I want to forget from the COVID days. <laughs> you know, the, should I say it? You know, the up the nose. Ugh. And then you sneeze five times and you hope for a negative result. So I'm hoping here that it's not as painful as putting a Q-tip up your nose or having to sneeze afterward or feel weird, but a real test that you don't get a negative result, you actually get a positive result. Now, I've got to say also that there, I know that there's some Christians, I don't know if any of you guys are this way, but they would say assurance is not really possible because there's Bible verses that seem to say you can lose your salvation. So sure, you could, you could be certain of it today, but you could lose it tomorrow. So to have any kind of assurance, it, it's pretty thin. On the other hand, maybe there are some of you that would say, assurance, well, of course, assurance is absolute, right? I mean, as soon as you believe in Jesus, you know, it's like uh, my Sunday school teacher told me when I put my hand up, and they said, she, he, whoever, oh, you believed in Jesus. Now, for sure, forever, you're going to heaven and never doubt it. Has that ever happened to you? 
It's like it's absolute. It's, it's, you know, even asking this question, why am I even in chapel today? Of course, the answer is yes. Let's get on with the rest of the day. But I don't want you to think that because that's not right. That's, when I read Matthew 7, it, it puts shivers into me. These are some of the most fearful words that I think Jesus ever spoke. And just listen. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, stop for a minute. You see what he's saying? There will be some people at Judgment Day who will think they're headed to heaven only to have Jesus say, Hold it, hold it, hold it. Listen to what else he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Or go to a Christian university, or put your hand up in a VBS, or, you know, go on a short-term missions trip? <laughs> Come on, Lord, of all people, certainly I'm one of yours. Here's the scary words, verse 23 of Matthew 7. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Not, I knew you, you lost it, that's too bad. I never knew you. And, but the, the scary thing is, they thought they knew Christ, and Christ says, I never knew you. So that's what I want to talk about this morning, what you could call false assurance that should drive true assurance. See how important this is? So now I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bible to 1 John the letter right in the back of our Bibles, it's only five chapters. It's an easy book, I think, in elementary Greek. If you're taking Greek, you translate from 1 John because it's so simple. But the, even though the language may be simple, the contents, the themes are so profound. And you know what? It's all about this subject. And I know that because if you go to chapter 5, right at the end of the book in verse 13... He says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now catch that. He's writing to people who believe. So this is not an evangelistic book. He's not trying to convince non-Christians, to be a Christian, to be Christians, he's saying, you who say you are Christians, do you know it? And if you don't, read my letter because I have written these things so that you may know it. 
which says to me, you really should, as a Christian, know it. Again, pass-fail test, Paul said the same thing. So if, let's say, you were in a car crash tonight, you had severe injuries, you were in the hospital and touch and go, your parents are on their way, we're praying for you, would you be confident or upset about an impending death? You only do that once, you know, so it's not like, oh yeah, been there, done it. Nobody says that about death, only Jesus. So let's look at the letter of 1 John, and I'd like to call out three ways that he says we can know we have eternal life. Number one is in verse 11 and 12, right before the passage I just read. So 5, 11, and 12 say this. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. The first thing John says is trust the promises of God in Scripture. I just read one. It's pretty simple. Life is found only exclusively in Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. And of course, the opposite is true too. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. Having the Son is John's way of saying trusting in him. Being united to him, it's a beautiful truth in the New Testament. We are one with Christ. Christ is in us, we are in him. Now, this promise is an objective truth. I mean, you should be able to answer that, you know, on your list of your, your self-quiz. Right? Have I trusted Christ? Do I have Jesus? And you don't have part of them. You don't have them halfway. You either have them or you don't have them. So how, how would you answer this? This question demands your faith. And it's not just faith in Jesus, but also faith that you have faith in Jesus. You see what he's saying? So even at the end of, let's say, today or tomorrow, let's say you made one of your friends really upset, you failed a quiz, you lost your temper, I don't know, you ate too much ice cream. I mean, it was a really bad day. That doesn't change the fact that you have the Son and the Son has you. That kind of assurance, and this is the first test, but this one will give you a settled peace and a rest and, could I say, a poise in your life that will keep you balanced when struggles come and when doubts come. 
So the first test, John says, is do you have the Son? Because if you do, you have life. And if you don't, you don't have life. Second, turn back to chapter 2, 1 John 2, verses 2, no, sorry, verses 3 through 6. Now, if you take a look at uh, verse 3, it starts either this is how we know or by this we know, depending on what translation you have. And that phrase is used throughout the book of 1 John to, to describe one of these tests I'm talking about. All right, so here's the second one. I'll just summarize it first. Test your practice of godliness. By this, or this is how we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That's pretty clear, isn't it? If your pattern of living is in total disregard of, I don't care what the Bible says, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, thank you very much. That mindset is not the way a Christian thinks and acts. So if your pattern of living, and I'm not saying, you know, just take a 10-minute thing, but look at your life in the course of the last week, the last month, the last year. If your life is not more obeying God, listening, even asking, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Then, and I love John's refreshing boldness, you're a liar. Maybe he was from Philadelphia or New York or something, right? He's not beating around the bush here. If you say it and you don't do it, come on. You're a liar. Don't give me that. You're actually fooling yourself. So I'm asking you all again, do you see a change in yourself, the fruit of the Spirit that comes almost naturally, supernaturally? Like when you're tempted, do you feel the pull? When somebody has a need, do you, uh, do you say, Oh, well, what, Lord, what would you want me to do? In fact, if, if you just go over to chapter 3 and verse 14, John says this, We know that we have passed from death to life because, here's another one, we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. 
So it's not just love for God, obeying Jesus, but it's also, it's going to spill out to how you love each other. That shouldn't surprise us, right? Because the first great command is to love God, and the second is to love your neighbor. They're, they're pairs. They're twins. The first one is the most important, but the second one flows from the first one. And that's why John says in verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So, how do you treat your roommates? Or how would they say you treat them? What about your friends when you have to stretch? What about that person on campus that a lot of people avoid? They're not in the cool group, you know, it's like, well, I don't want to hang around that kind of person. Does your heart, I'm just even asking, does your heart say something like, go over there, sit with them, talk to them, say hi even. That's called love. Not looking for what you can get out of the relationship, but what you can give to that person, like Jesus gave for us. And if you see that, you should be able to look at yourself and say, yeah, I'm, I'm different. I'm not what I was, and I'm not what I could be. I'm not totally what I should be, but I'm moving in that direction. You see, what... What John is talking about is not perfection, but direction. Where are you moving? The third test is in chapter 4 and verse 13. So the first test is, do I have Jesus? That's objective, yes or no. Second test, am I obeying the commands of Jesus? And maybe you say, well, not like I should, but no, are you? In any way, are you? Okay, I'll say yes. All right, now here's a third test. Last one today. Verse 13 of chapter 4. This is how we know, by this we know, that we live in him or abide in him. And he in us, here it is, he has given us of his spirit. So here's the third test. And by the way, it's kind of like a three-legged stool. I don't see any stools up here, but you know, right? You, there's no such thing as a two-legged stool. Or if there is, your leg is, is the third or fourth. You can't sit on a two-legged stool, at least, and, and relax. Four legs, fine, but you only need three. So here's the third the Holy Spirit in you. Now, that's the amazing thing about being a Christian is that you can feel God. You can sense his presence. Now, look, I'm a professor here, okay? I specialize in thinking and helping students think, right? Use our brains. If, if you're in my class, I won't say I don't care how you feel. I care how you think, right? Did you get the quiz questions right? Did you write the paper well, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I don't 
again, please don't think I'm hard-hearted here, but I kind of major on the mind. So what I'm saying is, here, this is, this is not the professor me, but this is the Christian me, the pastor me. And what he says is what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And in verses 15 and 16, he says this. Listen carefully. And by him, the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's a feeling. So again, third test. Do you sense God telling you, communing with you? Do you feel God? I'm not sure how else to say it. You see that? It's, it's not an objective reality, yes or no. And I can't say, well, you've got to feel it this way. Or you have to hear... God speak to you this way because God is a person and we are people and just like we communicate to people differently, God does as well. Feeling the spirit in your heart and your life should give you that, that sense of deep assurance. I heard someone say years ago, I don't want the kind of religion that I can get and not know it because I might lose it and not miss it. You follow that? There is a subjective sense to being a Christian. That's why Spurgeon said, faith saves us, assurance satisfies us. Satisfaction, that's a word of pleasure and inner harmony and peace. So, there's the three tests. Are you, not just a Christian, but are you an assured Christian? And you gotta take this test, by the way, not just today, but maybe tomorrow, next week, in the next five years, because assurance is dynamic, it's not static. Now, some of you might be saying, maybe, well, you know, oh, man, you're really upsetting me here because I, I don't know. I suffer from depression or I've been back and forth on this question and people tell me this and I feel this way. Can I just wrap it up by saying, yeah, look at 1 John 3, verses 19 and 20. Your feeling is not new. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. 
Do you hear that? If your heart condemns you, and you've taken these three tests, and you say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and I want to obey, but I fail all the time, and I think I sense God's presence, and your heart is, well, take a deep breath and relax, because God knows your heart. He knows all things. It reminds me of the story in Luke 22. Remember that when Peter was talking to Jesus and Jesus says this to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You know, I didn't talk about it, but it's true. Jesus is with us in this quest for assurance. He's fueling the fire that he started in our hearts. He's not going to let it down. If you really have believed in Jesus, your life will change. Second test. You really will sense God, sometimes more than others. So, remember that Jesus is praying for you. Let not your heart be troubled. So Lord, we thank you for the confidence and the joy and the rest that knowing you now brings. Man, what will it be like when we see you face to face? I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that first of all, they would know you by faith. And then secondly, that they would know that they know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.